This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled Visions of God, a new look at the nature of God as seen by major biblical persons. And the author, Harold Friday, visits me from California in the United States. Welcome, sir, to the program. Thank you. Your book is uh, 134 pages. Uh, we're going to talk about your book. Is this your first book that you've written? Yes, it is. I started writing it at age 87. And why did you choose this this subject material? Why did you decide to write about God? After years of thinking about the problems of life, I decided to put down my analysis of the problems that concern me most and to suggest a direction in which we should search for answers. To think about the problems of life is to invite a discussion of God and the nature of God. So uh, would I assume correctly that you believe in a God or God? I believe in God, yes, but not in the common idea of a powerful, objective being whom people believe answers prayer. I believe in my understanding of God which is based on my reading of the Bible. Well, let's discuss that uh, in just a moment. What is your view of the most urgent problems that concern you? The immediate problem I address is the continuing exit from the churches of good people who are intelligent and ethical but find no need for creeds and rituals in their lives. Years ago, I joined this group. I left organized religion, but I did not leave my faith and did not lose my desire to find a way to live successfully. A larger problem is the persistence of violence and war in many parts of the world. My high school years coincided with the Second Second World War. I started high school in September 1939. Since the end of that war, conflicts have been constantly occurring around the world. People often react to these conflicts with violence. Many who engage in violence do so because of their belief in God. Some believe that God orders the elimination of people who hold beliefs different from theirs. Others, in conducting war, inflict uh, suffering on undeserving people, in spite of the fact they say they believe in a loving God. A problem close to my experience as a trial lawyer who did some criminal defense work is this. When we lock up a young man for minor offenses for a short time, he comes out with all the same problems, plus the serious problem of a criminal record that follows him the rest of his life. This makes finding employment and a place in society very difficult. And when we lock up parents of little children, We disrupt the children's development and put them at a disadvantage, which is very hard to overcome. 
while we all believe in justice, there is a question whether we administer justice in a way that is fair and productive for each person involved. Uh, you mentioned, in addition to being an author, that you were a trial lawyer or have been involved in, in the uh, law system or the, uh, the system of law. Where uh, there are other life experiences that uh, contributed to your viewpoint? Yes. In my early adult years, I was a preacher, a minister, and a missionary. I received a Bachelor of Divinity degree from the University of London. Religion was my life during those early years. Even when I disagree, I do understand the different views of the nature of God found in the various Christian denominations, and to some extent, the ideas in other religions. During the middle part of my life, I was in various businesses. I had experience as a salesman, small business owner, and corporate officer. Good people function at all levels of business without involving religious practices. Possibly religion is part of the personal lives of many. This is not to say that all business people are saints. We know that idea is wrong. But I observe that people who are secular in outlook can function successfully. The last third of my professional life was spent as a trial lawyer and professor in a law college. Lawyers like to think that they have learned to think logically. I hope that this is true of my treatment of the problems just discussed and in the search for answers. Harold, do you believe that the Bible is the Word of God? Do you believe that God writes books? The um, designation of the Bible as the Word of God. Correct. If you say God inspires the human authors, I do not know what you mean. Does that mean there is a guarantee that every word in the Bible is true? If that's what you mean, there's a problem with this idea because we do not have a single original of the books of the Bible. Every ancient scroll was hand-copied and contains differences from every other copy. Which copy shall we call the Word of God? The phrase really is a metaphor and should not be taken literally. If in a time of turmoil a person meditates on the words, the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want, or on some other passage from the Bible, and finds in them a message of comfort and encouragement, he may say, this is the word of God to me, meaning that is a message for his soul. So you do find value in the Bible? Indeed, I do. I believe that one of the tragic results of the exodus from the churches is that people have not only left churches, but they have dispensed with the Bible as well. To do so is, divorce, is to divorce ourselves from ancient wisdom and from the sources of important elements of modern life. Freedom and liberty are enshrined in the Declaration of Independence and the U.S. Constitution. These ideas, as far as written records go, began in a biblical story where Moses demanded, let my people go. The message of justice and mercy is found in the memorable words of the prophet Micah, spoken about 2,500 years ago. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk with humility? We should not abandon such wisdom, inspiration, 
and guidance as found in the Bible. In a moment, I I may ask you what your idea is of the nature of God, but uh, first, I want to ask you how you arrived at your current present view. I'm reasonably familiar with the Bible, so I thought I would go through the Bible from the beginning to the end and try to understand what biblical characters thought about the nature of God. I find a progression from a simplistic view of a being like ourselves, although more powerful, to a spiritual view that accords with modern knowledge. According to an early story, Adam thought he could walk around with God and talk to him. He even thought he could hide from God. In the case of Abraham, he experienced God in visions and trances, that is, ecstatic episodes. He thought God wanted to bless people, but also believed that God was capable of cursing people. At a later time, Moses believed God wanted men to be free, but also required righteousness as set forth in the commandments. He also thought God would torture and utterly destroy his people if they did not stay true to him. In the story of Jesus, we do not have a definition of God, but we have the statement of one of the gospel writers. Enduring love came through Jesus Christ. Paul added his thoughts on love. He said the best way to serve in the church is not teaching and preaching, but in loving. He said that even if he preached with the voice of an angel, without love he was a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. John, the last writer in the New Testament, except for the book of Revelation, stated that no man has ever seen God. Then he said, God is light, and God is love. Light is a metaphor for truth. From this review of Scripture, I came to my conclusion about the nature of God. I'm going to ask you a question about your belief in the nature of God in a moment. But first, if I'm understanding you, it seems you're rejecting the traditional descriptions of God as uh, been discussed in the creeds and the teachings of church leaders throughout the centuries. Do you uh, personally have a view that they were all wrong? I wouldn't put it that way. Every one of them was a human being acting in the world of his time and thinking in categories familiar to him. Remember, there were large differences among them. The Pope of the 16th century called Martin Luther the Antichrist. Martin Luther called the Pope the Antichrist. Many people are content to believe what they are taught. Many want to think for themselves. I differ from many traditional thinkers, but I do not reject the Bible, and I do not reject the vital experience of the first followers of Jesus. It is my desire, however, to speak in the language of 21st century people. Then how would you describe God as we have known him or described him in the past? How would you describe him today? Meeting God is an inner experience that does not require external events, things, or beings. Religious practices are not a requirement and may be a hindrance. God should not be literalized. The name is a metaphor for the best wisdom and the highest moral qualities we have so far perceived. Our God is our vision 
and our ultimate commitment. And our ultimate commitment should be to truth and love. I'm sure you've had some reaction to your book and to your concepts. How do you feel people will respond to this idea? I hope they will uh, respond by following the search for truth, wherever the search leads, and accepting the truth, even if it conflicts with beliefs of family, friends, and churches. And by practicing love in all its aspects, such as justice, righteousness, mercy, sacrificing for others, and pursuing peace. We should love one another, our neighbors, and even our enemies. True worship is to have a vision of a loving world and to work to make it come true. Each of us should contribute his share of loving service to help reduce the suffering in the world. God is found in loving hearts. Harold? Wonderful observations. Thank you for sharing your background story and how this book came together and the contents of Visions of God, a new look at the nature of God as seen by major biblical persons. My guest, Harold Friday. Harold, where can my listeners get a copy of your book? At iUniverse, at Amazon, and at Barnes & Noble. Are you also developing a website that they might be able to access? Yes, we, we have, have it almost completed or um, very near completion. And the, um, the uh, name of the website is haroldwfriday.com. Friday is spelled F-R-Y-D-A-Y. Harold, thanks for visiting with me today and sharing your viewpoint of the visions of God. Thanks again and hope to hear from you in the future. Thank you. For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lippman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With Baby and Toddler Instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book today is a fictional account of a great story that takes place in Des Moines, Iowa. The story title is York Street. Our author, Jan Walters, joins me from the Des Moines, Iowa area. Jan, welcome to the program. Jan, tell me about your book. This is your second in, is this a series of books that you've written? Hi. Uh, thanks, Jay. first book was a historical romance, um, Time Travel. 
and the name of that book is called Believe. Um, this book, York Street, uh, a Ghost in the Cop series, is the first book in a new series. So um, we built the book here as far as the plot and the storyline and introducing characters so that the readers will um, be intrigued and interested enough to follow the escapades of the ghost and the cop who have to deal with paranormal elements. You have mentioned in your book that you are part of a four generation of men in your family have uh, served in the Des Moines Police Department. Dating back to the 1890s, that's uh, quite a history. It is. Um, I grew up um, as a small, when I was a small child, my great-grandfather, I remember him being on the Des Moines Police Department. He was chief of detectives in the 1940s, and uh, he retired in the 50s, and then uh, his father was on the police department as a motorcycle officer back in the 1890s, 1900s. Amazing. And then, of course, my husband was a Des Moines policeman, and my son is currently serving on the Des Moines Police Department. Incredible. Now, the back of your book tells a little of your main character. Brett O'Shea is a young street cop in Des Moines trying to make detective. He works by the book and doesn't believe in hocus-pocus. But when a killer begins terrorizing the streets of this city, Brett is forced to alter his view of the paranormal world. When a ghost appears in his bedroom. Where did that idea come from? Well, like I said, um, I idolized my great-grandfather. Um, he was um, a policeman. He was very outspoken. Uh, my great-grandfather actually was suspended a couple of different times. And during one of his suspensions, he picketed the Des Moines Police Department, mm -hmm. and it was written up in the Des Moines Register. And it seems like every time he was suspended for being outspoken, he would end up with a promotion. Really? And so he was very lucky. So between my great-grandfather's escapades uh, with the Des Moines Police Department, there's another actual true event that happened that kind of triggered this whole storyline. And as I was doing some research back uh, in the 1920s and 30s, uh, I discovered that there really was a cat burglar, and that's the term they used in the paper back in the 1920s, that really did terrorize the city of Des Moines. And you're not... And, and you're, you're, you you're, you're, about... You're, and you're not referring to people who are stealing pets. Correct. <laughs> so a cat burglar in the old days was, you know, basically somebody who was able to sneak quietly into your house and rob, rob your home. And so in the 1920s, um, most men went off to work every day, and it was the women left at home. And so many women were just terrified, you know, being home with young children, you know, by themselves. Well, my grandmother was a young child at the time of this cat burglar roaming the cities of Des Moines here. Mm -hmm. 
And she came home from school one day and was creeping up the stairs, going to surprise her mother. And luckily, when my grandmother was going up the stairs, her mom, you know, kind of came out with a thirty-eight in her hand. Uh-oh. And luckily, my grandmother was not shot. But uh, so when I thought about storyline and using that cat burglar kind of as a jumping off point. You know, a cat burglar is not really scary when you think about things today of what could happen. And so that's where I kind of let my imagination go. And I thought, hmm, what if we had a serial killer who was terrorizing the streets of Des Moines? But what if we took it one step further and the serial killer was actually possessed by a demon? And so, therefore, there's the villain that this ghost and our young cop, Brett O'Shea, they have to figure out who this guy is and can they catch him. Is York Street an actual street in Des Moines, or is this one of your imagination? York Street is an actual street in Des Moines, and it is a street that um, my great-grandfather lived on in the 1930s and 40s. And uh, so when I picture the street and describe it in the book, I'm actually describing the old homes along that street. Jan, how long did it take you to come up with a storyline for this particular novel, and how long did it take to get completed? Um, I've always been fascinated, you know, with the local history here in Des Moines, and um, the fact of my great-grandfather's kind of escapades. And so I've always known that I wanted to do a story and somehow weave some of the, you know, true facts into the story. But I'm also very fascinated by paranormal, as you can tell by the book. You know, Mm -hmm. it has a ghost and a demon in it. So it took me about probably five, six months to write the book. Now, do you keep journals or did you access any family history that was written or was this all oral history that you incorporated into the book? Um, I did a lot of research in the local papers as well as um, I sat down with my grandmother before she passed on and was able to record a lot of events that she remembered growing up in that era. Wonderful. How long have you been pursuing the career as an author? Um, I started writing back in the 1980s. Um, was writing more of a traditional romance novel. Um, did not get published. Was you know rejected. Kind of put everything away. You know uh, because you know. Life moves on, your job, grandchildren, etc. And then about three three years ago, I pulled out uh, the original manuscript for Believe, the first book, and kind of re-edited it um, and submitted it and had that one published in 2013. And then York Street came out in, I think, September of 2014. Jan, in thinking of the content of your book, is this a story that will appeal to a broad audience, or is it a little more of a narrow escape? I think.
think it will appeal to um, those that love mystery, suspense, uh, thriller-type books. Uh, It is not what I would call a traditional murder mystery or police detective, you know, procedural type book. Um, because you do have the paranormal elements in York Street, and you have this conflict that goes on throughout the book of Brett O'Shea, who you mentioned that, you know, he's pretty serious. He Everything is black or white to him. He doesn't believe in hocus-pocus. And so when you have this ghost appear, and the ghost tells him that uh, he's been basically sent to help Brett solve a 80-year-old cold case as well as figure out who this serial killer is, you know, Brett is really taken aback by this, you know, incident. And he tries hard, you know, to deny the fact that ghosts could even exist. Uh, A ghost in the book, Al is his name, is pretty irreverent, and he's quite the prankster. (laughs) Um, And so you have a conflict between these two characters, but yet they've got to figure out how they can work together to actually solve the case. Would you also describe those uh, interactions between the two characters as uh, sometimes fun? Is there humor? Yes. Um, There are several lighthearted moments in the book uh, that, you know, I think people will be amused by, but there is also there's a darker undercurrent throughout the book uh, because there's somebody out there who's doing these sadistical type murders, very brutal slayings, and they've got you know they've got to figure out how they can get this guy. The story that you have uh, recounted here and the one that you've outlined at this moment. Was that based on fact, or was it uh, something that was totally fictional? It's it, it's fiction. Uh, however, what kind of precipitated the whole storyline is the the cat burglar incident, and I liked the fact that you know here is this you know burglar, or in the York Street case, here's a serial killer that can kind of hold a city hostage, so to speak. So it's it's taking that original true incident that happened in the 1920s and then fictionalizing it for today's reader. Jan, uh, get on a soapbox for me, if you will, and tell my listeners why they need to get a copy of this book, York Street, a Ghost and Cop series. Okay. Um York Street, A Ghost in the Cop series, is a great book. It's a fast read. Um, if you like the paranormal, the suspense uh, of a true mystery, thriller-type book, you're going to love York Street. And I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised by the ghost in the story and some of the other elements in the story that's brought into the book um, I think it's a it's a very serious book, but yet there's going to be moments where I think you're going to laugh out loud. And so it's just a unique mystery thriller. Have you been able to share this with uh, other people and get some feedback? 
on the style of writing that you have accomplished? Yes, I have. Um, here is, a, um, I'm just going to read an excerpt from a Blue Ink Review. Wonderful. And it, and the quote would be, uh, Walters has a penchant for pacing and maintaining a strong momentum throughout the book. The plot is a surprising blend of a modern whodunit cop story and a fantastical paranormal thriller. Fabulous. That's that's nice review. Nice nice commentary on your style. Was there anything yeah, about yeah, what, I was really, yeah. Was was there anything about this about writing the book that uh, was a challenge uh, that you had to overcome? Well, the fact that Brett O'Shea is a young street cop, um, I really wanted to portray the life, the actions of a young cop. I really wanted to have it be truthful and then, and an honest viewpoint of that type of hero, that type of protagonist. And so... Luckily, with my son currently serving on the police department, I was able to pick his brain quite a bit. But when I did get the manuscript done, I did share it with um, Bill McCarthy, who is currently the Polk County Sheriff here in Des Moines. And he's also the former Des Moines police chief. Mm. And so I had him read the manuscript and get his thoughts on whether or not it really reflected well of the police department. And then I did have a um, a female police officer also read the manuscript, and um, she one of her quotes is, the story left me ready for more adventures with all the characters. I look forward to the next book from this author. And that was from Kelly Stewart, senior Des Moines police officer. Excellent. Well, possibly a movie in the future. Who knows? This is a, a, a great foundation for a story that may be picked up by some producer and uh, produced as a major motion picture. Would you uh, be open to that idea? Oh, of course. I mean, <laughs> uh, as I wrote this, I mean, I literally could visualize it on the big screen. I think it would be an excellent um, movie, uh, just, you know, partly because of the popularity of the paranormal elements that you see in movies and on TV today. Wonderful. Uh, this book is titled York Street, a ghost and cop series. Our author, Jan Walters, has joined me from Des Moines, Iowa. Jan, where do my listeners get a copy of your book? Uh, York Street is at uh, on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com, as well as Google Play and iUniverse. Excellent. How about a website? Have you developed one yet? Yeah, and I would just add that the uh, local Barnes & Noble bookstore here in um, West Des Moines at the Jordan Creek Town Center, they do have uh, the paperback books in stock. Super. And you're uh, personally developing a website, I'm guessing. Is that something that's going to happen soon? Yes, there is a website. It's uh, janwaltersauthor.com. Excellent. 
Listeners, you can get a copy of this book by requesting it at your local bookseller or by going online and connecting with Jan at her website. Again, that website is janwaltersauthor.com. Thank you, Jan, for joining me today and sharing your story. Thank you very much, Jay, for having me. My pleasure. For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on DougieNet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book today is titled Flag on the Summit, and our author who joins me from India is Apalish Sangba. April, mm-hmm. welcome to the program. Yes. Okay. Good to, good to talk hello? with you. Yes, hello. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you. This book, Flag on the Summit, is something that you have had a long desire to write a novel. Share with my listening audience, what is this novel about? Is it fiction? This is part fiction, but inspired by a real-life story. And what does it... this is uh, this is a fiction. I mean, but inspired uh, by a real life story that I have seen when I was a child. And you are a a, uh, a resident of India. You also have a career in addition to being a writer. What is that career? In addition to my writing, I have a career career as a police officer. Amazing. And how long have you wanted to be an author? I wanted to be an author since I was a child. And is this type of book, how would you describe Flag on the Summit? Who is your audience? Who is going to enjoy reading this? Uh, Anybody who's interested in... um, Those who are interested in my book, I have already given it in the cover... So they can, uh, I don't, I'm not choosing my audiences, they can, well, I'm not uh, choosing my audiences, I'm not choosing my uh, readers, I mean readers who choose, choose my book. And are they younger uh, readers, or are they older, or is it a wide range of ages? It's for all, it, it is all, it is for all uh, wide ranges of audiences and readers. It is for all, uh, for teenagers also, 
so that it can be in, it can be an inspiration to them to the teenagers or children and it can be an inspiration to others also so that they can see uh, so that they can see how hard she have uh, how long she how long she needed to uh, how to say story about the story it it takes a plan it takes a dream it takes an uh, inspiration to go up you you have you have titled it flag on the summit that gives me yes. the idea of perhaps climbing or mountains is uh, that part of your story yes because in life the destiny where you're going is like going off to the mountain that is what my meaning is i mean to achieve a dream to achieve something uh when you have when uh your surrounding, your family background, your life around you, your environment is totally against you. You have to fight against all the odds. That means it's like climbing to the summit and getting the, uh, so reaching the flag. That is what the, uh, the title means. The title means that you have two young girls as your heroines in this, Gentila and Palmina. Is that the right uh, yes. way to pronounce that? Yes, yes. And how old are these uh, these characters in your book? Those two girls are just imaginary characters. Just names are imaginary, my own creation. Uh, I didn't, I didn't have, uh, I didn't have anyone. Uh, I didn't, I didn't mean anybody. I didn't borrow a uh, name from somebody. Or doesn't use somebody's name. Doesn't use someone known to me. And Hannah, Those two are not uh, How old are these these girls? These girls are teenagers. I mean, they're, they're, I mean if, you, if you read the book, you'll know that how they started as children. So how they ended up till, uh, till they have reached to their dreams. What is the book all about, Flag on the Summit? The story is about two girls. I mean, two girls. Uh, from very humble background, uh, who have uh, they both have dreams? They both have dreams uh, to achieve something in life. Okay, can, can you get it? Yes, I do. Uh, there's a moral yes. moral message that must come through. Can you yes, share? Can you share after that? that? After that, so they both have dreams. They they have dreams. They want to achieve them, and that is why they were starting. But when the surrounding, they are surrounding the environment, society, family background are so much against them. They have, they both have to fight. They both have to fight against all the odds to make it to their dreams. That is the story of Lavout. As a young lady growing up in India, did you have access to read lots of books? Mm-hmm. Yes, not not much. In India, actually, I'm where I'm staying is a very small town, and in the one corner of the world, uh, we uh, I'm I'm living in a small town, and that story I have written is all about a small town. I mean, it has grown bigger now than when I was a child. So, the place where I'm living, I have no access to much good books, but I used to read a lot. I used to read a lot when I was studying in college. 
I mean, if you want to know whether I read books or not, then I, I, I was a bookish. I was a very, I, I really love to read books. Are you hoping to have a positive impact on your readers? What is your goal long term for being an author? Is this something that you would like to do full time, all the time, writing books? I would, I, I would love to become a full time. I would like like to become a full time full time author. I want to like given a chance, but at present I have to, uh, I have to fall back on something. That's why I'm still on my job, but. In the, but my uh, real desire is become a full-time author, yes. At becoming uh, an author, there always is an, an obstacle or two that you must overcome in order to get your book published. Were there difficulties that you faced in getting this book to print? Uh, the most difficult, uh, the most uh, uh, difficult, thing that I have faced in publishing this book is uh, like uh, I have given I have given three of my chapters to uh, Penguin and other uh, uh, traditional publishers they didn't accept it mm-hmm. then after that that is the obstacle I face then after that when I when I tried to publish in, uh, I thought I publish in India but then I thought I wouldn't get much audience here in India so I just I thought it's better if I publish somewhere. So I was checking. I was going through all the internet. I was searching for publishers. Then I went through this I this I universe publisher. So I decided I must try it. When I sent uh, when I sent my when I sent uh, some chapters of my book, they immediately accepted it. They said they are very. I mean, they are very lucky. They are very fortunate to. Publish my book, just yes, like that. So after that, I have this is self publishing. So I have to, I have to send money and money. But send, I have no problem with money. But the problem is sending. The bank banks are not uh, opening up to me. I mean, I have to send it to banks. Yes. So the, the uh, once or twice I can send. Um, I mean. I give my pin card and they have to, uh, taken away, taken my money for that. And after that, Indian government, our government has stopped. I mean, they have stopped somewhere and it's they could not uh, take money for publishing fees. That is the greatest obstacle I face. And and now even now I cannot, I won't be able to make a wire transfer from here because I am staying here and we for we need. Uh, this kind, um, what do you call it? Chartered accountants. Yes. Chartered accountants have a lot of so many people's signature, all this recommendation for sending. And we don't have chartered accountants here in Tura. I mean, where I'm staying, because where I'm staying is a very backward place, so to say. Very small place. Very small place. Uh, the the uh, audio connection, the telephone a link is still very good. So, you even though you may be in a small part of a small town in India, your communication is excellent. You speak three different languages. In writing this book, is English the primary language that you produced it in? Yes, English is the primary language I use for writing that book. Uh, there are uh, there are some uh, words that I used for my. Uh, Especially about our traditional dress, I used 
our own language, but I put it in italic words so that people will know it is not an English language. Um, so, I mean, there are some Hindi Hindi words also I used. Uh, that is for songs, Hindi songs. I cannot, uh, I cannot, uh, I didn't trans- translate them into English. And that I have learned from, I have, because I have read, read lots of the Milton Bull's uh, novels. So from there, I came to know that they used to write uh, their own language, uh, other people's language, other uh, countries' language in in their own language. They didn't translate it. So from that, I thought I also can write our language. I mean, some I can use our language and I put it in italic so that people will understand it is not English. Understand it. There is, I'm sure, uh, a scene or two that you have written or penned in your book that may get the attention of the reader and be emotionally drawing them into the story. Is there an event or an incident in your book that you have written that you think is the most emotionally driven? The most emotionally driven part of my uh, part of my book is that when my, my friend's father died and she was blaming God. That is the time when I feel so, I mean, I was emotionally driven because uh, I feel I, I want to help her, but then I cannot comfort her. I want to comfort her during her utmost, innermost pain, but I cannot comfort her in that time. So that is the most emotionally driven uh, part of my story, I feel. What is the message that you want readers to take away from reading this? Will they think this is an enjoyable read? Will they think it's a sad read? Or will they think it's one that's inspirational? I want them to be both motivated and inspired, as well as I want to be sad, and so that they will understand what what kind of, um, how other people are living, how other, how other part of the world is living, how other part of the, I mean, what, in this part of the world, how people are making it to the to their destination, and it is a real, real hard climb to the top, to the summit, to reach where they are today. Uh, they really have to fight against the odds, and it's really, it should be really inspiring, and and they should be motivated by it. Your book should give wonderful insight into life in another culture. The title is "Flag on the Summit." The author, Oplish Sangba. April, thank you for joining me today. Where can my listeners get a copy of your book? They can get a copy of my book in Amazon, Amazon.com. They can, they can get, it from, get it from there. And if, if they do a search for the title, Flag on the Summit, they should be able to find it. And also under your name, and I will spill, spell that for my listeners, Oplish is A-P-R-I-L, April. I-S-H, Oplish, and then last name is S-A-N-G-M-A. Sangma. Sangma. April, thank you for joining me today and taking time from your busy schedule, and we hope that this launches a career in writing because you have a passion for it and a desire to tell good stories. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you. For iUniverse, this is J. Douglas Barker iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. 
Radio with a cutting edge.